So when I was in, uh, in university, uh, some of my favorite classes that I took were actually elective courses. And uh, elective course is a very fancy term that means the, the school requires you to take more classes than you need so that they get more money from you, right? Like that's what an elective course is. Because they say, here's what you need to actually be qualified for what we're saying you're qualified for, but then you have to take these other courses too, right? So uh, one of my elective courses uh, was scuba diving. Uh, that, was, that one was pretty fun. Uh, but uh, I, I never went beyond the uh, school pool. Um, so anything I know about scuba diving happened inside my university's uh, pool. Um, so I uh, never, never got beyond that. Uh, but one of my other elective courses that I, I really liked, it was called uh, Faith, um, Faith and Culture in Film. And what we did was we watched movies. So this is already a good class, right? Like you're just, seriously, it's a whole class on watching movies. And, uh, and then uh, what we would discuss the way that the culture is depicted in that film and then how any aspects of faith or uh, the Bible or anything like that interact with the way that, that is presented in that film. And so it was a, a pretty, pretty fun class. Uh, but our big project in the class was we were, it was a group project, and we had to uh, take on a certain genre um, of movie, and then uh, do a presentation to the whole class about that genre, um, at, in, engaging in that way. Uh, so we would lay out the genre, um, and then we would interact with it on a faith level and, and how that would work, okay? Well, my group decided that our genre that we would take was time travel movies, um, okay? And then they decided, hey, Wayne, you're responsible for doing the Bible part of time travel movies. I don't know if you've done much research in the Bible about time travel movies, um, but there's not a lot of verses that it just says, and this happens with time travel movies. Um, so I took a little bit of a, a lead way with it and made a jump and uh, talked about different views of how God is viewed in relation to time. Um, I knew I was successful when the, pr- the professor got so excited um, that he interrupted my presentation and got up on the board and just started writing stuff everywhere and basically did the rest of my presentation for me. So I was like, okay, well, that's good. Uh, I think, uh, think we were successful in that. Uh, but uh, one thing about time travel movies um, is they, a lot of them all go back to this idea of the butterfly effect. Have you heard of this? So the idea that if a butterfly uh, flaps its wings, then there are effects of that, consequences, repercussions from that. Um, if through time travel you go back and stop the butterfly from flapping its wings or cause it to flap its wings more, there will be different consequences that happen, right? Um, and so uh, we all kind of latch on to this in these movies um, because it's the idea that even in the smallest kind of what might seem insignificant moments, um, major things happen, and there's ramifications from those things. Uh, the passage we're looking at in Scripture today um, does not have to do with, tra- with time travel, uh, but it does have to do with one of those moments that's very, very, very critical in the lives of the disciples. And so we're in Luke um, chapter 9, and starting in verse 18. And this event is not, you know, last week we looked at where Jesus fed 5,000 people. 
with five loaves and two fish. You know, we, we've looked at other events where the disciples themselves were out healing and doing miracles and all this stuff. And this event is not one of those big, major events, but it's one of the most important events that we, we've seen so far in Luke as far as the disciples go. Because it's in a still, just a quiet moment that Jesus is with his disciples and they have this conversation. And this conversation is so, so critical. Verse 18, now it happened that as he was praying alone, that's Jesus, uh, the disciples were with him. So he went from having this huge multitude of people uh, surrounding him to now he's kind of retreated away and he's praying alone. He's there with his disciples and he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. This is, this is so critical in the lives of the disciples, is understanding who Jesus is. And it's so critical in our lives as well, understanding who Jesus is. And so that's our first question to answer today, is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus starts with asking them what everyone else is saying. Um, you know, some, some are saying that he's John the Baptist, which a few verses earlier in this chapter, uh, we saw where Herod was really worried when he heard that people were saying that Jesus was John the Baptist. Why? Because Herod had John the Baptist's head cut off. Um, and so if this was the guy that he had his head cut off, he's a little worried about that. Um, and so people are thinking that, that John has somehow risen from the dead and that's who Jesus is. Um, or they're saying he's one of these prophets of old that has come back. Um, they, they can't quite put their finger on it. They don't know exactly who this guy is, but they know that there's something special about him. Today, we can get a lot of different answers to this same question. He asked people, who is Jesus? Um, some people will say, well, he's, he was a religious teacher, um, right? Uh, some people say, well, he was a good guy. He was a very moral guy. Um, some people say, well, he never existed. It's all made up. Um, some people will say he was just a man. Um, some put him on equal standing with like Muhammad or Buddha or Gandhi, um, these uh, religious, spiritual people that have started religions and started followings. And people will say, oh, well, they're all basically just the same. But the truth is, is that he is the Christ of God. What Peter had figured out, what, what Peter understood at this point, rep, Peter representing the disciples as a whole, is he's the Christ of God. Well, what does that mean, the Christ of God? The Christ of God was the one that all those prophets, that they're thinking maybe it's one of those prophets that's come back, all those prophets, what their job was, was to point to the Christ. Elijah was pointing to Jesus. John was pointing to Jesus. From the beginning of time, God has been pointing people to Jesus. He's constantly sent us messages through his messengers 
saying, here's the one that's to come. You need to look forward to him. You need to look to him. You need him. He's so important. He is the answer. He's the one that you need. He's the one that you need. And he offered all these promises all along the way about who Jesus was and what he was going to be like. Because Jesus ultimately is the son of God. He's existed for all of eternity. And yet, at this moment in time, he came and took on human flesh. He became one of us. He lived amongst us. He walked amongst us to show us how to be made right with God. We're going to get to a minute more about the why he came and what he came to do. But it's so important for us to understand who he is. He's still that same person today. He's the person that all of history has been pointing to. All of time has been pointing to Jesus. He is the Christ. He's the promised one. Jesus is the one who was promised from the very beginning. From the time that that sin entered the world through Adam and Eve... God started making promises from that moment on about the one who was to come. And that was the Christ. That was Jesus. This was the person that everyone was looking for. Especially the Jewish people. Okay, that he's, he's here amongst. They're all looking for the Christ. And here he is right with them. And they're missing him. Because they're saying, oh... Well, he, he must be another prophet. This guy must be another prophet that's pointing towards the Christ. Well, no, he was the Christ. He was the one that was promised. He, the, he wasn't one that was coming to, to just point others to him. And so that question is a very, very important question for each of us to answer today. Is who do you say that Jesus is? Do you believe him to be the Son of God, the Holy One, the Perfect One, the One without blemish? Do you think, oh, well, he's, he's just a moral teacher? Do you think, oh, it's just one of those Bible things? It's good and all, but maybe not that real. Or do you believe he is who he says he is? Because he was the one who was promised from the beginning and he fulfilled all of those promises. All the ones relating to his first coming, he is fulfilled in perfection. And then we have more that have been made about when he's to return. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So... If that's who Jesus is, the next question is, what did he come to do? And I'm glad you asked, because he tells us. Verse 21, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Well, why did Jesus do that? Why doesn't he want anyone to know that he's the Christ? I think part of the reason for that um, in, in this time, in this setting, was the fact that the people were looking for the Christ to come and be a military ruler who is going to free them uh, from their oppression. 
Um, and so they, they were looking for the Christ um, to come and free them from the Romans, to set up a military state um, under which uh, they were uh, uh, a higher nation, they were raised up, um, that kind of thing. And so that's what a lot of the people were looking for um, in the Christ. And so even the understanding of who the Christ is, they had different understandings. But Jesus said, um, that's, he's saying, that's not what I'm coming for. Here's what I'm here for. Uh, verse, uh, verse 22, saying, The Son of Man, that's talking about himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So the people were looking for this military ruler who was coming in to fight back their enemies and free them from their oppression. And Jesus says, um, here's what I'm coming to do. I'm coming to die. I'm coming to suffer and die. That's what I'm here for. And that sounds kind of sad for this great military leader, for the Son of God who's existed for all of eternity, that his purpose in coming was to come to die. And not just to die, but to be raised again. He even says it's going to be on the third day that he's going to be raised again. And see, Jesus came to free us from our oppressor. But the oppressor wasn't the Romans. The oppressor was ourselves. And the sin that lives inside of us. That's who we need freedom from. Not from some outside force. Not from some enemy. We ultimately need freedom and rescue from the sin that's within us. And that's what we need, and that's what Jesus came to provide a way for, to offer us um, salvation in that way. He came to suffer and die and rise again. Why did he do that? Because the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And that means that the price that we owe for our sin is to die. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What that means is Jesus came as the one who never sinned, and yet he paid that wage. He paid that price that we owe so that we can be made right with God. So that when God looks at us, he sees the price that Christ has already paid. So that when we stand before God in judgment, he won't say, oh, well, you did this, and you did this, and you did this. Oh, and you remember this time? Yeah, you thought, I forgot about that one. Instead of that, what we get is, my son paid it all. He wiped your slate clean. He forgave you. He gave you that freedom. It's the great exchange. He takes our guilt and our shame And he gives us his righteousness in the place. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's the whole reason that Jesus came to earth was to do that for us. He didn't come just to teach us things. He didn't come just to do some miracles. He didn't come to feed a bunch of people. The 
reason he came was to live the perfect life and yet die paying the punishment for all the sin. And to prove that he had defeated death and sin, he rose again. That was his whole purpose in coming. So Jesus says, this is why I am here. So the next important question is, if we understand who Jesus is and we understand what he came to do, the next important question is, how do we respond to Jesus? What is our response to that? Well, he answers that next. Verse 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus doesn't say, hey, just pray a simple little prayer. He doesn't say, hey, do a few good works on the side. He doesn't say, hey, just intellectually affirm um, who I am and what I came to do. He says the proper response is, take up your cross daily and follow me. What does that mean? I don't know about you, I haven't seen many crosses being carried around here lately. Anybody? Anybody seen crosses being carried? No. But we, I do see crosses like nice little jewelry things, right? Like we've, we've made the cross into like this nice little pretty thing. You know, it's like uh, because of what Jesus did on it. And we, we want to look back to that. We're so thankful for that, which is awesome. Um, you know, people get tattoos with crosses and all that kind of stuff. Which the more equivalent for us would be like an electric chair, you know. So anybody seen like, you know, the little dangly, you know, electric chairs? Anybody? Anybody carrying those around? Got an electric chair on your back? Anybody? Um, no, we, we, we're like, why would you do that? That's kind of demented. That's messed up. That's the instrument of death. Well, yeah, that's what the cross was. That's how people were executed. It's like, a, uh, you know, a few centuries ago, it was the, the hangman's noose, right? So it'd be kind of weird if, you know, you walk up to somebody and they've got a big noose, you know, on their, their arm. You're like, why do you got that? That's kind of, I don't, I don't know about this guy. Uh, but we see a cross, we're like, oh, it's a cross. Yeah. Um, but, but Jesus tells us, take up your instrument of death daily and follow me. What does he mean by that? What he means is, when we, cho- when we follow Jesus, when we make that decision to say, yes, I know who you are and I know what you came to do and I'm placing my faith in that, then the response to that is our whole lives. From that moment forward to the day that we die, we're saying yes to Jesus. We're saying yes to follow him. We respond to Jesus with our whole lives. Not just our Sundays, not just our Sunday mornings, not just our Sunday mornings unless there's something better to do. Not just this one night or that night, but with our lives, with who we are with our time, with our resources. Following Jesus should change your life. It should change how you live. If you think that you've come to Christ and there's been no change, then I really encourage you to question that. To look at your life and say, am I different because I'm following Jesus? If there's no change there, then I really want you to to question and look at Are you really following Jesus? 
Or have you just kind of treated him as a band-aid that you think you can just put onto your problems? Because he is much, much more than a band-aid. He is someone who is worthy of following with our whole lives. From this day until the day that we die. He goes on, verse 25. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? We respond to Jesus over stuff. Jesus knew this was going to be the constant struggle for his followers. We could go after the things of this world, so possessions, wealth, riches, fame, all these things, or we can follow Jesus. And which one's more important? Now, just following Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that he won't let you have any of these other things. I've known plenty of people um, who are very faithful followers of Jesus that he has blessed in tremendous ways um, in this, this life, and they use those things in ways to glorify and honor him. Uh, but we, you know, we had a very good reminder here recently, uh, as in yesterday, um, of how quickly wealth and riches can be gone. Um, you know, this, this is a six-story high-rise that's being luxury condos being built on the beach in Kelowna. And just like that, one afternoon, it's now a pile of rubble. It's nothing. Now, I don't know who owned it. I don't know what kind of insurance they had. I'm sure they had something, but that should be a reminder to us that, you know, that was, that was somebody's hope and dream that they were going to make a lot of money off of that thing. And now it's gone. Now it's nothing. And if that's where we place our, if, that, if that's what our lives are lived for, then it can be gone just like that. to nothing, to rubble. But Jesus offers us something that cannot be taken away, something that's far greater and something that lasts for eternity. And so that's why he is worthy of our lives. So we respond to Jesus over stuff. Next it goes on. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory. You know, it's, it's also a big temptation when you're a Christ follower and you're living among people who are not Christ followers, to want to fit in. You want to be liked. And so you want to just go with the crowd, right? Go with the flow. It's easier to not stand out. To do whatever they're doing. But Jesus says, hey, I'm calling you to be different. I'm calling you to be a follower of mine. And you know what? If you're lugging a big old cross around, you're going to be different. If you're taking up your cross and following Christ, there's going to be something different about you. But yet, when we are ashamed of him, that means that we're valuing these people's opinion above his. We're valuing what they think above what he thinks. We're valuing um, our popularity with them above his status in our lives. And so we respond to Jesus no matter what anyone else might think. This is what we're called to when we respond to Christ. We give him our lives. We give him our lives over stuff. We give him our lives over what anyone else might think. 
And this is beyond just a simple intellectual affirmation. This is beyond just an emotional experience. This is the reality for the rest of your life of saying yes to Christ. And it's a reality that's so worth it. Why? Like, that doesn't sound a lot of fun sometimes, right? Like, hmm, carry instrument of death around. Don't know if I really want to do that. Lug in my electric chair behind me, you know? Like, what's up with that? But when you understand who, he, who Jesus is and what he came to do, then it is so worth it. So you have to understand those first two questions before you get to this third one. This third one is the overflow of the reality of the first two. And so I want to encourage you today that I know many of you here are followers of Christ. I see you daily taking up your cross and following him. And I encourage you, good job. Keep it up. Keep going. We have the opportunity to let more people know about this good news, the good news of who Jesus is and what he came to do, and to give them the opportunity to respond. And so that's why we do things like hang door hangers. That's why we do things like kids camp. So we want these kids to know the reality of who Jesus is and what he came to do and what he did so that they can respond to it. So you have opportunities to come alongside that, to be a part of that, to help with that, to, to follow Jesus in this way. But that's, you know, our church thing that's going on now. You have this opportunity daily in your life just with your interactions with your family and friends. Some of you in your homes have the opportunity to do this day in and day out of carrying your cross and humbly showing your loved ones what it looks like to follow Jesus and the rewards that he bestows on you because of that. For some of you here, you might have never responded to Christ before. You might have thought that you did, but now that you're hearing this, you might say, you know, there's a lot more to it than what I initially thought. And maybe when you're confronted today with the reality of who Jesus is and what he came to do, which he did, by the way, he fully accomplished suffering, dying, and rising again. When you're confronted with that reality this morning, you say, I need to respond to that. I need to say, yes, Lord, I'm taking up my cross now and I'm following you. I don't know. I don't know where you are this morning. But regardless, this is what we're all about as Christians. This is what we're all about as a church. This is the, this is the meat. This is, this is the most crucial thing. This is the most important question that you can answer for your life and your relationship with God. And the reason why is well, because of what comes next. The Son of Man will be... All right, let's just go back to the start of that one. For whoever is ashamed of me in my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory. So Jesus tells us that he's coming back. And the glory of the Father and of the holy angels 
But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. The promise is what's to come in the eternal kingdom of God. When Jesus returns in his glory, he's coming back. Just as all of those promises were made throughout the whole Old Testament since the beginning of time up until the moment that Jesus set foot on the earth, he fulfilled those promises, except for the ones that talk about the time he's to come again. And the time when he comes again, he is coming as a military ruler. He's coming to conquer, and he's coming to put a final end to sin. And with that will come death, an eternal death for those who are not in Christ Jesus, for those who have not responded to the truth of who he is. And that's why in our personal lives, we need to get this worked out and we need to respond. And that's why we need to let as many people as possible know the truth about who he is and what he did so that they have the opportunity to respond as well. Because he is coming again, and he is going to judge the living and the dead. I don't know about you, but I want to be found on the right side of that judgment. And that's only found through being cleansed by his blood and forgiven by what he has done. Let's pray. Lord, we do know that you're coming again. And that you've given us a job to do until you get here of proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Proclaiming who you are and what you came to do and what you accomplished for us. Lord, we thank you that you humbled yourself to the point of dying, dying on a cross. But that you did not remain dead. You defeated death. You rose again on the third day just as you promised that you would. And as you kept that promise, Lord, we know that you will keep the promise, that you've, all the promises that you've made to us, that if we're in, we're in you, if we're a part of your body, if we've been cleansed by your blood and forgiven uh, by you, then we get to spend eternity with you in heaven, worshiping you and praising you, bringing glory and honor to your name. God, we thank you so much for that. For those who do not yet have that hope, Lord, I pray that you will just bring them to the realization of the reality of the gospel, of the good news, of who you are and what you came and did. As they're presented with those facts, Lord, help them to respond. Help them to respond to you in faithfulness. Lord, each of us struggle in in fully following you. Lord, there's times where we drop our cross. There's times where we give in to wanting to to fit into the world. Lord, forgive us. We know it's only possible by your grace. So let your grace cover us and put us back on, on your path by your grace of following you. I thank you for the way that you gently just restore us and forgive us. And God, I thank you for all that you do for us. In Christ's holy name, amen.